0: Uh, My name is Sean Guman, and I'm with my co host, Gerwin Singh. And we are joined today with an illustrious guest, a retired colonel in the U.S. Army, the highest ranking Sikh to have served active duty with a turban, an author, and father to three accomplished kids, including a Rhodes Scholar and a newly commissioned second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. Uh, Retired Colonel G.B. Singh, thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. So,
2: what was it like for you to watch your daughter, Noreen? Follow the same career path that
1: you did and the struggles and the triumphs uh in following that path I think it's a great news, so I actually really feel very proud of it, and I know it wasn't easy because it took her about two to three years at least to get it, get the paperwork going and and eventually for the u s air Force to accept after the final interview and i I know it's not easy it's not easy to be commissioned as an officer mm-hmm. okay. It's not easy, it's quite competitive. So my answer again, you know, is, 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 is I'm quite proud of this achievement.
0: Absolutely, uh, it is an incredible achievement and, and we've been amazed to get to know her, understand her story. We often ask our guests to share their American story. Can you share your American story with us?
1: Yeah, I, I was born born in India, raised there for the first 21 years. Where okay. in India? In uh, New Delhi in Punjab. Okay. Both. My father was in the central government, you know, Air Force uh, civilian in New Delhi. Oh, okay. So m- m- many years of my life, I, st- you know, lived in New Delhi. And, of course, a uh, significant chunk also, I lived in uh, Punjab.
0: Mm-hmm. Where in Punjab?
1: So, I'm just a few other places. Okay. So, but by 1976... I had finished my degree and uh, landed in uh, Chicago. Uh, at the time, my parents were already here. Much of my f- family members were already there, okay, at the time. So essentially, I left, went home, and came to another home. And uh, America being so different, I began to learn new things. You know, it is always like a culture shock, and there's just so many new things began to learn a lot of new things but again at the at the time by 1977 early i guess somewhere on uh, i got very lucky i got admission at the university of pennsylvania philadelphia so i ended up at upenn as a student postgraduate student in uh, in school of dental medicine
2: okay
1: mm-hmm. uh Again, this is something brand new to me because uh, I, I thought I knew good stuff from India, but then, of course, I'm learning something new here. Sure. And so the, the doors are opening up. Right. Okay? The new things, new horizons, new people. Uh, there was one gentleman at the time with me, and he, writes soon thereafter when we graduated, he was, his paperwork were already in the, you know, in the, in the, to join the U.S. Army. He joined. So every Saturday morning, remember, this is the time there was no cell phones and internet and all that. So Saturday morning, of course, we had the rotary telephone. Yeah. Saturday morning, he would call me. He wake me up at nine o'clock. And I knew it always Saturday morning, nine o'clock, that's the guy who's was going to be calling. And he will... Pamper me. He will cajole me. He will tell me all these beautiful things in the army, and then he will push me that I should also join the army. And you know, I had absolutely no desire. This idea was not even there that I come all the way from India, yeah, and uh, and I want to join the army. That just that just was not there on the radar. But anyway, cut it short. But the gentleman a friend of mine, he was quite successful. And I could, you know, even when I tell him not to bother me, he would still do that. Eventually, I said, I said listen, don't bother me. <laughs> let me go next week. I'll go. It was a, you know, it wasn't that far up from downtown Philadelphia. UPenn is on the west side. I said, let me go there. He gave me the address. Go to the recruiting station. I'll go and sign the papers. So I said, this would be the end of it because I was, Hundred percent sure, army would never take me.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, I was hundred percent. I was not a U.S.
0: citizen, and you were you were a right then too, right?
1: I had a turban and a beard, and of course, my my original dental degree was from India, which was not acceptable. Okay, hmm. so there were three big things that were against me. But nonetheless, I thought you know I just wanted to tell my friend, listen, I did my work, so don't bother me on this thing anymore. Hmm. So I end up in downtown Philadelphia. And the first thing I see, a recruitment station for Navy, U.S. Navy. Before I could get to the next door would be the Army. So I said, you know what, let me go into the Navy first. (laughs) So I walked to the Navy recruiting station and I said, you know, I would like to join. So the gentleman, you know, he was. The recruiting guy over there, uh, some petty office, I can't remember his food name, but nonetheless, he took, he started to take my information and he was quite impressed. He said, listen, this is good. <laughs> and then he looked at my size, five feet four, and I think I was barely about 100 pounds or something like that. And he liked that. He said, you know what? We need people of your size in submarine force. Interesting. So would you like to join the submarine? And, you know, in my mind, in my mind, I said, mean, hmm, I, I just thinking and all of a I said, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, that's awesome. Would, wow. One of the just, most difficult assignments in the military. It, it is. It is. But the gentleman, he, you know, he liked my qualifications. He liked my, this body structure. He says it's a perfectly fit for summary. So Curry shorty, then I was, you know, he started to talk to me about my turban and a beard. And I told him who I am. And uh, I said, uh, somebody told me that in the Navy, you guys allowed the beard and also some mustache. He said, yeah, yeah, we did that. But just recently, the Navy got away from it. I said, okay. But he said, do me a favor. Can I send your paperwork to the Department of the Navy, which would be in the Pentagon? And if they say yes, would that be okay? I say, yeah. But then he said, you know what? I don't think they would do that. But I'll, I'll try my best. But he's, he's, he's almost sure that this, they're not going to allow me to walk in like that. Anyway, I came out of the office and right next door is the army. And I walked right in. <laughs> so, uh, now here is a different, different atmosphere. Uh, I think this is about, I, I, I can tell you, this is 1978, probably November, December, somewhere around that. I can't, I'm not 100% sure. And uh, so we started to talk about, and then uh, he said, you know what? Yeah, I would like, you know, you would re- really like to come in as an officer. I said, yes. And he said, no, uh, I do a lot of work on the enlisted, but there's another gentleman who who actually does the officer. And I forgot the guy's num- name. He called me up. The, the gentleman came and introduced himself. And we just kick off right from there on. And I filled all the application. Uh, in fact, that first day when we met, we went out for dinner. He really wanted to talk to me. And uh, we chatted. Now, at the time, I didn't realize, uh, you know, I thought we were developing a sort of a friendship. But no, we had a nice chat. He, he really wanted to know my experience in India, how I came here, what do I do, you know, all that stuff. Cut it short, within a week, we met again, and he has, he has filled all the applications, the packet, the whole packet was ready. And then he said, you know what, I got to be honest with you. He said, I think I have recruited a lot of officers. Well, you are the most unique person I've ever met. With your background, I have I have given the highest recommendation to the Pentagon to have you. That's amazing. So but then we did talk about the turban and a beard. We did talk about the other nose in my case, and that was I'm not a US citizen. And I think the law, the requirement at the time was to be an officer, you need to be a citizen. And then, of course, my, my degree, the, even though I had a certificate postgraduate from UPenn, but my basic degree was from India.
0: Right.
1: But, I mean, he, uh, he also said that it looks like, you know, it's not going to go any further. But nonetheless, and that's the way I thought it, so same way. But anyway, a few weeks down the line, I got a call from him. Now this is the officer of the U.S. Army who's calling me. My recruiter, okay, he's no more enlisted. He's an officer. He's captain. I forgot his name now. So he called me up. He said, "Listen, uh, there seems to be some interest in you. Uh, they, they, they know that you're not a U.S. citizen because you know it takes five years to be immigrant here, and then you apply for it. And I just had barely, just even less than three years, something like that. So can you go to the INS immigration office?" This was right in downtown Philadelphia, and they gave me. They told me a name of the form is called "intend to become a U.S. citizen." Can you fill that form? And what other paperwork is done? Get that done. Get a copy and give it to us. So in my mind, I said, "Oh, gee, I thought they were going to say no to me." Yeah. So I go up there. I got the paperwork done. It didn't take that long time, and uh, I gave it to the recruiter, and he passed on to the Pentagon. Now at the Pentagon you have a Department of the Army, which would be called DA, Department of the Army. They are the ones who are really checking my case, okay? So the Department of the Army is also checking myself, my case, my file. Plus you have the US Army Dental Corps also looking at my record. So there are two different, two different groups within the Army are going through my record, okay?
0: Just, just for like clarity's sake, you're going to join the army and be a dentist in the army. Is that...
1: That's right. Correct? That's right. Okay. There, but there are two things. One is the DA and one is the dental call. Got it. There are two decisions that have to be made at that level. Okay? I sent that intent to become U.S. citizen. So I, in beginning in my mind, I'm thinking I'm done. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think these guys will go, will go any further. Okay? Then I began to hear that there's more interest. They want to talk to me more about my career and this and that. By this time, they also got my letters of recommendations and all that stuff. Uh, Eventually, the word I got was that there's a big tussle going on within the dental core, within the dental core, and that is the senior officers at the core level, at the dental core level, they are having issues whether to take me or not. Do you think it's because of your turban? That was a big deal, and that was the biggest of all. And then, of course, my degree—my degree was yeah. not from US.
0: Could that you tell us, like, what their argument against you wearing a turban was at that point? Like, did they ever explain?
1: Their biggest uh, argument was simply they had no idea who what this is all about. They heard by this time they heard the word Sikh, but yeah. they really had no idea what that is. Okay. Mm. But then, by this time, they, they also knew that there's a regulation within the Army. Right. Uh, it's called AR, which would, it has some four or five points where it would allow a Sikh to join. Mm. Okay? But Army had never allowed anybody. It had never given that permission to anybody. So, I'm the, was essentially the first one who's making attraction here.
2: But did the Army not have any institutional knowledge from World War I or... From you know, I'm sure the army in the all branches of the military probably work closely with the British government.
1: That that's the British true. Army. You're looking at you're looking at the last war would be the second world war. Yeah. yeah. But the people at the dental Corps level mm. at that they just didn't have that background. Okay? I see. So these were all after the Second World War people. Okay? I see. Now. At the, at the DA level, the senior officers, of course, because they studied a lot of history of the wars, they were aware of the Sikhs, okay? But at the Denver core level, that was not the case. Cut it short. Uh, eventually, they, now I found that out later on, okay? So I'm just, I'm just telling you. Later on, I heard the three senior officers, uh, these were all colonels, they had to vote on my on my case, should should I be accepted or should I not be? Two of them voted for me and one of them voted against me. Nice. The majority won. So there was a green light from the court from the court lab, level, level. Okay? What happened
0: in the Navy by the way? Did anything happen with that? Did
1: happen well, 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 yeah in the meantime I did get I did get a I did I did get a call from that uh, recruiter. He said no they're not gonna Make any exceptions?
0: All right, all right.
2: So that was the that was gone. Okay, you you dodged a figurative bullet. I
0: would say.
1: <laughs> well, whatever. Okay.
0: I mean, the '80s were coming. Cold War was coming. So yeah.
1: So now you back to the army. So found that out again. The 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 dental corps accepted my degree with a postgraduate certificate from UPenn. That's the word I got. And I told you later, I found that out. There were three colonels who had to vote on it, Three, two of them went for me, right. one against me. Got it? No. Yep. We'll get back to that one, how that happened. So anyway, now the, the, the third issue was my turban and a beard. Okay? What do we do with this one?
2: Right.
1: So the Devil Corps decided, you know what, that issue has to be decided at the DA level, Department of the Army, the Secretary of the Army, the Chief of Army Staff, you know, the the big guys, they have to decide on that particular issue because I'm supposed to be joining as an officer, so I'll be wearing a uniform. So that decision has to be made over there. So anyway, in the next few weeks or few months, I, I can't even remember now, but now we are in 1979, okay? Well into 1979. Eventually, I got a uh, telephone call from the recruiter that he got the word from the DA that DA would like me and him to go together to Fort Dix, New Jersey. Fort Dix, New Jersey at the time was an active infantry base in New Jersey. Okay, and uh, very active when it comes down to line officers, you know, the war fighting. So they have constituted a board which will interview me Probe me, and then if the board says okay, then that might open the door for me. Okay, so again, in my mind, I I didn't have the guts to say no. I say, yeah, this whole thing was an accident, so to speak. <laughs> I didn't want to join, you know what? But I just could not say no to anyone. You had low
0: expectations.
1: But, well, but I I could have said no, but I never did. Yeah. But anyway, me and the recruiter, we ended up Fort Dix, New Jersey. There were, there were three or four officers, if I remember. One was definitely major. The rest were captains, and then there was a secretary. Uh, they invited me in their office over there in the conference room. We chatted a little bit. They said, listen, we got some questions here. They also had the Army regulation with them that under these circumstances, if, if I fulfill those requirements, I can be accepted into the military. Okay. Into the army. So anyway, they questioned me for about, about, about an hour or less, maybe forty-five minutes to an hour. They asked me anything and everything they could ask me about Sikhs, Sikhism, uh my my standing on issues of war. Uh if I was a conscientious objector and I mean all sorts of things they asked me. And, you know, on the issues of Sikh and Sikhism, I could only answer what I, what I knew. You know, coming from India, my knowledge was quite limited, okay? But they did ask me about kara. they wanted to ask me about case, and then all sorts, of, anyway. So then they, they said, would you please go outside, have a seat out there, we will make a discussion, a decision among ourselves, and then we'll come over.
0: That's did they better. ever ask you to cut your hair
1: or beard? No, not not at the board. No, no, not when I was sitting at the, they never did that. Okay. So about 15, 20 minutes, I'm sitting out in the hallway, major comes out. And of course I stood up, he shakes hand with me. He said, we have decided our a unanimous decision that we'd like you to be a fellow officer in the U.S. Army. Okay. So we, it was a, it was a high five time moment, okay? Yeah, sure. My mom, in my mind, I said, wait a minute. Wait <laughs> a minute. This is not something to be, you know, I wasn't expecting this. But then he said, there's one more thing. This recommendation has to be approved by the commanding general at Fort, Fort Dix, who's a two star general. If he approves it. How many approvals? This is just a 1000000 You gotta understand this is not a, This was no easy job. And especially for me as a with a turban and beard, this was even more complicated. This is an infantry post. You got an infantry major general over there. He ain't gonna take me in. Are you kidding? Anyway, uh, again in two weeks, my recruiter called me up. He said, Listen, you got a good news. <laughs> I said, What? He said the general signed it. I said, What? <laughs> yeah, I signed it. I got the paper in front of me like that. I want you to come right now in my office. I want to give you, administer oath to you. You will be, today you'll get your oath and the orders are on the way. Just like that. Okay? Now, cut it short. I can give you the name of the gentleman, the Major General. His name is Robert Senewald. S-E-N-N-E-W-A-L. W A L. That, that that name will pop up later on. Okay? All
2: right.
1: You got it? So just so Robert Senoval, General Senoval is the one major general who signed the paper. Anyway. So I go up there, I get the I get the oath, and I said the orders should be there any day. Get ready. Now you know, but keep in mind, by this time, nobody in my family knew about it. My my parents did not know my relatives. Nobody knew that this stuff is going on, okay, in Philadelphia. So first time I end up calling home in Chicago area and told them, and of course you know nobody was happy to hear this. I'll be yeah, honest with you.
0: They, they thought you were going to be a dentist.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, they, they thought I was in the military though. I end <laughs> up open a practice, you know, yes. all that stuff, and you know I feel bad too. I feel bad too because. This was not something I I had planned. It just one of those things happened. Okay. Now I have to get ready, get everything done, and get ready for get ready for basic training. And uh, cut it short. I left my apartment. I put everything in my car, parked my car somewhere in friend's house, and take an airplane and end up at the at the. How, how old
0: are you at this point?
1: At uh, about 20, just just 23. Wow. Okay? Uh, yeah. And 23 or right at close to 24 maybe, okay? Somewhere. And so I ended up at uh, this base. And uh, I don't think they were aware of me coming there. Uh, I think they thought it would be like any other officer coming in for basic training.
0: Okay, <laughs> they were in for a surprise.
1: They were for a surprise, and so was I. And there was quite an uproar at the oh, time. Wow. Yeah, it was a re- really quite an uproar. Who is this? Okay, everybody from the from the post commanding general over there all the way to enlisted. I mean, there was a huge surprise, and much of it was also uproar. What the hell is going on in the army? Why this is going on? Why? Okay, it was like that. You could visibly see that a majority of the people were against it, okay? Oh, wow. Okay? So, again, I am there. I had the orders. I said, you know, I had the orders. Now, cut short, uh, my orders also said that from there onward, I'm going to go to another, after the basic training, I'm going to go to Fort Knox, Kentucky, as my first duty station. But there was so much uproar and a whole bunch of folks had called the DA. Later on, I found that I, my, my orders for the Fortnite got canceled. Wow. Yes. That and is
2: like, crazy.
1: Food. Food. Okay. So I said, well, what do, what do I do now? I said, well, don't worry. They're going to find another place for you and you'll get your new orders. Wow. But the good thing was, you know, I was open about it. I, you know, it, nothing nothing really brought me down, so to speak. I, but I'm going through this this new phenomenon, new experience in my life. And a few weeks later, I got the word that there's new orders. I'm heading to Washington, D.C. I said, what? Yeah, they want you to go over there nearby, so they keep an eye on you. <laughs> okay, so instead of going. To- another bullet. Didn't have to go to Kentucky. Exactly. And in a way, that was a blessing. That was a blessing. I ended up in D.C. But let's let's stop right here as an answer to that question. And if that something comes up as a follow-up, we'll talk more about it. All right. Okay? Uh, I find it
2: fascinating. They had such a hard time with you just because you looked and presented different than, you know, I ever heard stories about the Vietnam War towards the tail end of the Vietnam War. Right. they were having a hard time recruiting people and uh, they were making compromises left and right in terms of who went into the military because no one wanted to fight for what was slowly becoming a lost cause. Well, that's and, true. Uh, and you're only a few years removed that's right. from that situation. Yeah. So the level of uh, stringency in a situation where the military was begging for people just a few years ago um, and Maybe, really quite frankly,
1: pulling from the bottom of the barrel um, is pretty shocking. I'll give you a little bit. I did meet a couple of Sikhs who had served one year in Vietnam, even with the turban as enlisted. Oh, wow. They got their, they got their green card. That was a requirement at the time. You go there, you serve one year, you get your green card. And by the time they come back, they're out. Got it? So, my situation was different because this is like three years three years after Vietnam War, okay, ended. And, uh, and I'm coming as an officer, which is a, a different character. They look at things differently, okay? And they had never done that before to anybody. Got it? So anyway, let's move on to, and, uh, you know, if we come back uh, as a follow-up to what happened, we can talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to go, before we get into your narrative and story from the actual military experience or U.S. Army experience, tell me about why uh, being a U.S. politician didn't work out.
1: Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, from, From Washington, I served three years and I got orders to go to Oklahoma. Okay. Okay, Fort Sill, which is the home of the field artillery base. But that's where I had decided because, you know, my deal was never I'm going to go stay in the army for No, I, I just wanted to spend some time and get out. But by this time, there was a perceptible change in me. And that is, I said, you know what? The best thing to do that would be become a politician or become a member of the House, House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't be great to uh, go back home Illinois and I'd go for an election? But again, my knowledge of politics and knowledge of American institutions was really very minimal. Mm -hmm. So I said, let's go and uh, at the University of Oklahoma. Let's start that program where I do my master's degree, okay, which uh, with a political science, that kind of stuff together, okay? And that's really how the idea was that I'll finish my tour here, and from here, I'll get out and go back to Illinois. That was the whole idea. Gotcha. But then in the in the program at the University of Oklahoma, I came across a professor who was the chairman of the Department of Political Science, Professor Stanley Waters, uh, who was a consultant to President Reagan. By this time, President Reagan is in the White House. And somehow we clicked really nice. And all of a sudden, he saw something in me that I never thought I'd have it. And that was my unique perspective at looking at ideologies, political ideologies, and how they shape. And I became a student of communism. Of course, you know, keep in mind, coming from India, communism was quite heavy. So I began to learn that all the stuff I learned in India just was not right.
2: Hmm.
1: I began to learn new things about communism, the real stuff. Anyway, uh, at this moment, uh, again, in my mind. Uh, this stuff is there that I'm going to get out. But I ran into more stiff opposition at this new post against me. There were a number of people, not all again, keep in mind there were a number of people now who were with me, but then there were also people who wanted me out. So I ran into that opposition. And once I ran into that opposition, I, I decided, you know what? Not a bad idea if I stay in. <laughs> Not okay. it's
0: a good reaction.
1: Not a bad idea. And then came 1984, the incidents in Punjab. And for some reason, uh, I can share that with you. Uh, there was an officer over there at the field artillery who who had a background in intelligence, and he was still quite. And he was quite friendly to me. And then he shared with me some of his opinions about Operation Blue Star. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to share them here with you. And I'm looking at his face. I say, are you kidding me? He said, no, no, no. This is real stuff going on behind. Now, I'm already by this time studying communism. I'm already well into this kind of stuff going on. Okay. And then my professor is now taking me into into the outer corridors of Hinduism. Uh, He wants to understand India at the time, Indira Gandhi. He thought Indira Gandhi was a communist. So anyway, we got, I got into all that stuff. And in the, what result was that in my mind, I said, you know what? Let me stay in the army more. Okay? The idea of leaving at the time, I got a shelf, put it on the shelf, and I said, let's stay and make a career as much as I can. That's really what happened. Okay?
2: It seems like you, you kind of fell into the army um, it was not something, obviously, as you mentioned, that you planned. Uh, but you, you know, you kept finding things within yourself to keep continuing. And what, what, what was that? Like, what was telling you and motivating you to say, "Okay, I just got to give it a few more years." Okay, now, you know what? Maybe this should be a career. What, what was motivating those feelings?
1: Well, you, you, I just shared with you a few things that happened, but. On the positive side of it, I came across some some of the most intelligent people, senior officers you can imagine. And through them I began to learn the leadership, the history, ideologies, the, the history of the subcontinent, uh, history of the Cold War, the Soviet Union, the wars. I came I began to go into all those areas and of course not to not to you know overstress the role of religions, the role of politics, the role of constitutions, the critical thinking. And it just kept going and going and going. Those things really motivated me because I'd never seen a come across anything like that outside. And those people, they recognized that because you know I come from the East, these people had not. So I would bring, bring in new perspective from the East and add on to the equation. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. So the relationship began to grow, okay? A lot of these people, I mean, really senior, senior people, they said, hell, we need this man. We we like it, love it, okay? So that was an encouragement from the other side to for me to continue to move forward and begin to learn a hell of stuff from these people. That was the motivation.
0: Yeah, tell us, tell us what you did. Like, tell us a little bit about what your military career looked like, and if you can share some of your
1: experiences. Look at this way: I, my, I was a part of the U.S. Army Dental Corps. My, the ranking structure and move on to promotions, it was all through that. But by the way, just I want to let you know, at that duty station, I came across. Remember, I was telling you those three colonels who voted. One of that colonel made it now general. And he was treating me, began to treat me like his own son. So one day I ran into him and I said, sir, can I ask you a question? Yes. I had all the negative things attached to my record. I'm not a U.S. citizen. I have a foreign degree. And of course, I got a turban and a beard. What was in it that you went in to decide to have me? I just want to know what was going on behind. And he opened up. But bottom line is that the bottom line was, he said, you remember those letters of recommendations from UPenn? I said, yeah, I remember them. He said, we don't get letters of recommendation like that. That's what really got us that we need this man. That's what happened to us. Now, he's talking from the dental Corps level, okay? Now, many years later, I'll tell you more about General Senewald, who became four-star retired and moved into the CIA. But anyway, that's su- separate. Did you feel when you were in the military, because our
2: community has such a long history of military service, uh, almost since the beginning, um, not quite the beginning, but almost the beginning. And did you feel when you were serving what probably, not even probably, was and is the most powerful military in the world, did you feel a kinship with all the Sikhs that had served in the military for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and did that motivate you as you were going through your training? Again,
1: uh, I was aware of the Sikh history, not in that details. Okay, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you you look at me. I I don't look like a you know one of those great great Sikh soldiers. I really you look, don't. You look pretty good. Okay. Yeah. But, thank you. But but while while in the military, I would come across senior senior officers who had known the history, and in that, in fact, at the time, I even came across people who had served in Second World War. they were getting old, and they would sit with me and they will share with their a knowledge of the Sikh soldiers. okay? one of them even had served for General Eisenhower, wow. And then he started to tell me how General Eisenhower liked Sikh soldiers and this and that. I mean, I began to learn things that I did not know. Again, from a soldiering perspective, this is where I began to look into the Sikh history, began to learn Sikh ideology. What was so unique about the Sikh gurus that they turned the untouchables mainly, the untouchable communities and the Sudra communities into great warriors, the great leaders? So that was a that was another phenomena. I began to learn as a as a kick from all the other sectors, other stuff I was learning. Okay, but that's a whole separate stuff. What I learned, how I moved, having studied the religions and all that, I moved back to Sikh Sikh religion, Sikh philosophy, Sikh civilization, and especially the role of Guru Gobind Singh turned these people who were persecuted slaves for centuries into great warriors. How did that happen? And that history goes separate, okay? That's a whole separate phenomena. Whatever you guys wanna talk about, we can talk about it. But it's a fascinating story that as I began to learn more into soldiering professionally, how I started diverting to the Sikh history. So you, you traveled a lot in the military.
2: Mm-hmm. What, what, uh, what was it? Where did you go? What, did you, what was it like every day to be in the military at the height of the Cold War? Um, it, I mean, it, it, what, what about your work uh, made you so beloved by your superiors? Because having the respect of uh, generals, or particularly generals who become four star, uh, is probably not easy.
1: Well, let me give you one thing is for sure when it comes to my own profession, my code. My dental core, they are considered my, my record was probably the best one they ever had. It was that good. But then my other talents, other things that came in as a part of the officer call, uh, that came in handy because they were the people from the line officers and so many others were having a great input. And then the number of them would come and sit with me and begin to learn on the cultural issues and so forth and so forth. Anyway, uh, I did travel a lot in the military, uh, especially within the continental U.S. And then twice I was stationed in uh, Far East, South Korea. Uh, And this is again, back again when I was there first time, the four-star general in Korea, head of the Eighth Army was General Senewald. (laughs) Okay, and uh, we didn't get a chance to meet, okay? But I could see that name, and of course, he heard about me coming. He knew, you know, he knew. So, and then uh, a few years later, I'm lieutenant colonel, and I ran into General Senegal, And By this time, he had retired and was in the CIA. And this colonel, uh, colonel he said, listen, I'm heading to D.C. I'm having a dinner with, a lunch with him. I said, could you tell him about me and talk to him? And I told the story and he went and talked to him. He said, of course I remember him. Where is he? And he sent me his address. He said, tell him to write me a letter. Okay. And by the way, I just checked a few months, two months ago, General General Sanoval who's in the 90s. He's still alive. He's right there in DC area. Okay. In Alexandria. So I just want to give you an update that General is still alive there, That's and great. Uh, yes.
0: Did yes. you have to when you were in South Korea? Did you meet Koreans and, and did they you know that must have been their first time seeing someone with a yeah, with yeah. A okay. that was a,
1: that was one heck of an experience <laughs> because uh, because early on the first duty station when I had. Koreans had never seen a man like me, especially, you know, with the body hair. Yeah, they have no, yeah. (laughs) And my turban and a beard, and they thought I was from Saudi Arabia, and all sorts of Indonesia. I mean, their knowledge was quite poor when it comes to geography. But the second time when I was there, this is during 9-11, a lot of young Koreans, their knowledge was pretty good. And a lot of them knew who I was. Wow. so there was a huge change between my first visit and the second visit yeah.
0: That's awesome were you ma- were you married at this time like what was yeah, the- yeah 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 yeah.
1: Okay. yeah awesome
0: i have a I have a question about nineteen eighty four uh that's also when the army banned outward signs of faith How did right. you overcome that or or what was the has like the
1: well just you know just a correction i think that the the ban occurred in nineteen eighty two if I remember too okay so, but you know, again, it was a cage. Okay, I was in DC at the time and there was a, there was enough pressure being put on me uh, to either shave and take the turban off and, 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 or I, need, I need to get out. So, but lucky again, I found that out the, the new policy had a clause of great grandfather. That is those who are already in, they should, Allowed to serve, you know. I was the only one, actually. So I remember there were two major generals, uh, including the chief of the chief of the JAG Corps. It's supposed to be a highest ranking, you know, the the lawyer. Mm-hmm. They were telling me and some other that I have no I have no choice but to shave or i need to get out. So I ended up fighting that case and I won. Okay uh that was a that was the beginning of the pressure actually to be to be very frank okay that's when the pressure started to mount on me, and it continued for the next many years because I was all alone, okay and while there was a pressure being mounted, but then remember when I told you when I was in washington d c the people that I served with and for a bunch of them moved on to the Pentagon as senior officers, even mm-hmm. generals they were always there to protect me, okay? That was my protection. There were people behind my back to make sure I stay protected, even with all the pressure being put on the other side, okay? Just want to give you an update, okay? So uh, my job was to survive this and make a change from within, change from within. And as, as I gained the ranks, uh, I began to see a change. There was a change, perceptible change from within. Okay, and by the time I retired, I could see a big change that I knew just a matter of time that the huge opposition was just about to be melted away.
2: What was the uh, rationale for the policy?
1: Well, again, uh the policy at the time, Secretary of Defense, if I remember, Caspar Weinberger, they were very, very ultra conservative. They just did not like any any change, so to speak, especially with, the, with an officer, okay? There was that opposition, and then you had a cultural opposition, the military history. Military, US military history is so different as opposed to Europeans, okay? And these people look at things from their angle and they say, well, we've never given exceptions to this and this and that. And that will go through. And then there was a third one they were they kept telling me, well, in America, we have almost close to 1,300 close to religious groups. And if all, one of the, all of these guys start to ask for exceptions, well, we're we not going to give this. And then I began to learn how to counter these kind of things. First thing I would say, sir, as far as I know, Six are the only people who applied for this exception. All these 1,300 that you're talking, I have no idea anybody applied. I a majority of that don't even want to. <laughs> so why, why bringing something else that really has no relevancy? Well, that kind of stuff started to move on. Then they came up with this idea of a gas mask. Okay? So I said, well, yeah, we have a responsibility of safety. Now, they, had, they were right from that angle because even the Supreme Court has given that authority to the military for a safety reason they can, they can do these kind of things. Now, I had to learn, okay, if the gas mask is an issue and a helmet is an issue, well, let's go with the gas mask because they said with a beard, you cannot make a seal. Okay? And that's a, that's a safety issue we cannot allow. So what I did was I started to experiment with gas masks and I realized with my beard, if you look at it, I can make a seal behind, right behind it. Okay. And I, I just had to experiment with the gas mask. I finally realized instead of small gas masks, all I needed is a slightly bigger size and I can go behind my beard and make a seal bingo it's done. And they will take me to the gas chamber and boy, I'll, i walk at night. You'll That's survive, yeah. <laughs> okay? So that issue began to have that of a problem. Wait a minute. Gas mask is not an issue. Oh, I'm beginning to experiment with that. Then comes the the helmet. Okay. I said, well, what do you do? And that was another issue where I had to I had to make changes there. At least what do I do? I said, okay, I had a mini turbine. And I began to experiment with the helmets. Okay. Uh, again, I found that out there are different sizes and I began to realize there are sizes that may be fitting better underneath my, under, under the jura, you know? So I began to experiment with those and I said, you know what, bingo, I can, I can take my turban up there. I have my mini turban there. I have my mask up there. I have everything. I'm ready to go and do my field trainings and so forth and so forth. Like give you the second time when I went to Korea, we had a three days, a three-day exercise on nuclear biological warfare. Three days out in the field, okay? And you know what? The first thing they are I how are you going to do that? I said, don't worry, I'm ready for it. And it was a surprise to a whole bunch of people. Oh my goodness, this works. Oh yeah, it works. And I think those that sort of change, opposition began to dwindle.
0: Yeah, it seems like your tenacity and your creativity is probably what pulled them, made you come into the army in the first place. And so now they have to deal with you.
1: (laughs) It it began to change. And as I said, I, if you know, I'm a very open person. So you you had people from all walks in the military would be able to come and talk to me openly. Intelligence, lawyers, you name it, line officers, historians. I mean, it was a, it was an occasion for them. To come across a man who can talk at that level, and actually end up teaching them. Okay, so it was a very unique experience for me. And here's something I learned from them: actually.
0: you probably did more for sick awareness in 20 years of service than uh, you know all the things the National Sick Campaign has done so far. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully, we'll get there. Awesome. Well, you had spoke about how when you were retiring the U S military and the U S army in particular were, were changing significantly. Uh Um, you know, your daughter is, is joining a new U S military and air force and a, a body that has openly said that they're willing to accept any person, no matter their articles of faith, which is, you know, hugely progressive. It's a, it's a big win for our community. Um, I guess, My question for you is, how has the U.S. Army, or the U.S. military in particular, changed? And and how do you, can you describe that?
1: Well, I retired in 2007. So it's about 13 years now, okay? And I, I can say, at least while I was in the service, I knew of all the military services, the most conservative was Air Force. Air Force, you could not budge. I mean, it was that. Others may dwindle, you know, fiddle with it here and there, but Air Force was the most conservative. Wow, did not know that. And now to see, and by the way, uh, since I came to Colorado, I would run into Air Force officers right here when nearby. And we will talk about all that stuff. But cut it short, to see a change in the Air Force, it is, it is mind-boggling for me at least because I never expected that. I will see that in my lifetime. Okay. There's a big change going on in the air force to accept minorities, accept you know this kind. Of, this is great. Uh, I understand Navy, Navy has changed the regulations. I also understand Marines have changed the regulations. But I don't know much about it. But definitely Air Force has because I hear more news about it. Recently I heard uh, one of the American White Sikh gentlemen got it uh, got permission into the into the special forces of the air force. There's only one unit in that and here he is part of it so that is again it, it really tells me that there is a there is the doors are open okay and our youngsters need to move forward take advantage of it and
2: last couple of questions what what are what are your leadership lessons that you've that you observed over your career in the military? And then finally, how? What is your advice to six that want to join the military today? Is someone that has joined the military? Is someone that has parented a child that has joined the military? And actually, quite frankly, has also won the Rhodes Scholar.
0: Different, um, different daughter. <laughs>
2: different daughter, right? And um, how? And how can young six continue to join and, and keep their articles of faith and, and, and keep the? persistence and the ingenuity that you did in in the face of all the obstacles that
1: you faced? Well, let me start with the second question that you did. Uh, As compared to when I went and the difficulties that I encountered, I think today the doors are open. I'll be honest with you. You know, we don't have to knock at the doors anymore and try to bang on it. The doors are open. All you require is a young Sikhs, Men, women who want to serve and want to go in and take a shot at it, go for it. Like Noreen did that in the the Air Force. But at the same token, Army, Navy, Air Force, these these institutions are open. Now, having said that, let me be clear. It's not that easy to join, especially as officer. Especially as officer. The requirements are very stringent. But you know what? If you say, I'm a Sikh, I got a turban and a beard, and the regulation allows it, there's the advantage that you have because your recruiter and the people above, they will be attracted to you. And if you got some of those good talents there, you can invite those people to be attracted to you because turban and beard offers one great advantage over over somebody who doesn't have it, and that is you are source of attraction. And if you got a magnet personality, you're going to attract that person. And the doors will become even more open for you. Now, once you're in, you will, you will learn the leadership qualities. Tremendous qualities you will learn. Tremendous th- other issues you will learn. So whether you make it a career or not, it doesn't matter. But even if, let's say, you serve a few years and you come out, that experience... That maturity will see right through, come right through you.
0: I'm ready for Gerwin to join the military. I'm ready.
1: <laughs> so, I'm too okay. old now. You, you will go through an experience that you will never go through in another place. It's a very unique setup. Now, I'm just, again, I went through it during the Cold War time. You understand? Extremely competitive, extremely at those, in those days. Okay? And I'll be honest with you, I learned a lot. Mistakes I made my seniors will come and put an arm on my shoulder and, you know what, guide me. He said, let's do this way. So you learn you learn on the job and you learn right on the ground what should be done, what is generally the right way of doing it. And then begin to learn, you know what, there may not be the right answer. You look everywhere, you look how to navigate through the mountains or through the valleys. You find a way how to do it. That opportunity you get to learn in the military. I'm
2: really interested in the leadership qualities that you've seen. And I'm sure a lot of people want to hear about. Okay. You know, things you observe from great leaders.
1: Okay. The, when you, let me tell you, in the, in the let's go in the army. Okay. Army has devoted considerable money and resources in how to train new leaders. We have schools. We have schools. Like as an officer, I went and attended those schools. And you begin to learn not only practical level, but even at a the theoretical level, what it takes to be a leader. Then you begin to read examples of military great leaders. As there's so many of them and how they fought the great wars. And not only they fought, they won. Then you begin to read, read the executive leadership. For example, presidents, our presidents, president, FDR, President Truman. Okay? How did these people, what military background they had that eventually set them up for great presidents? And it takes you even back to George Washington. How did that happen? How did he become a general? So there's so much of history and examples, which again, I brought you back. That whole knowledge took me back to Guru Gobind Singh. Let's take a new look over there. There's something we missed the quality of gurus, how they turn these untouchables.
0: Sounds, central, sounds, central. sounds like a book to me.
1: Okay. Turn them into warriors, leaders. What happened? But you need that background, the solid background that I, I was able to gain in the military to make that switch to the Sikhs. There's so much, uh, the, 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 this is where you begin to learn that the role of guru gobind singh as a leader now as a leader there is no parallel anywhere in the history of over human civilization none it does not exist anywhere
0: one final question knowing you have two daughters one is pursuing a path in and has done a lot of advocacy work, like the National Sick Campaign, National Sick like Youth Program, and, and has done a lot of... And has worked with us. She's on our advisory yeah, role, she, council. She, yeah, she's on our... Therene is, you know, a close ally of ours and has continued to help us. And you have another daughter, of course, who's, who's joined the military and you have a son as well. These are all young Sikhs in America, young Sikhs in the world. How do you... I mean, what advice do you give to other young Sikhs to go out there and make an impact on the world?
1: Well... Answer again, there's no cookie cutter here. Okay. Every every example is different, but from every example you learn something. As long as you are learning, and as long as you have mentors to guide you through, okay, you reach at a level in few years where you are independent thinker and independent leader. You reach a stage where you look at your surroundings. And you say, what is the right way of moving forward? And I think our Sikh youth, children of the great gurus, children of the great warrior traditions, okay? Children of great human rights campaigns, civil rights campaigns, okay? I think we are well poised to take advantage of all of that and move forward with that. Military, all I can tell you, because of our tradition, is rooted in military. What happened, even though, even though Sikh philosophy may be something different, but it is part of our history. It comes in handy. It comes in handy, and this turban. Turban, if you know how to use it, it is a source of attraction, and you attract some people there that others cannot attract, you have an advantage. All you do all you do is you learn those skills, how to attract people, how to move forward, how to exert leadership potentials there, leadership skills there. I mean, you can move forward with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, yeah. I think yeah. that's a high note to end on. I, we really appreciate your time. This has been an honor to speak with you, to get to know you, hear your story. Uh, And and we really appreciate it.
2: Thank you.
0: Take care. Sassigami. 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 Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to Sick Meets World on your favorite podcasting platform and share it with your friends and family. Stay tuned for our next episode, which comes out next month. And of course, be sure to check out the National Sick Campaign website for more information.